When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. And this darkness, literal darkness, just came like all over, just, just all over me except where I was standing. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. I got a good episode for you today um, on the first episode of season three, uh, first episode to be recorded in 2022. Uh, <clears throat> today I'm bringing on Andy McGrath. Now hold on a second, I had an update pop up on my computer. It had to reboot. Um, yeah, we have uh, Andy McGrath coming on from Beasts of Britain. He has a very popular uh, social media presence. He's written a book. He has a podcast. Um, he's out there doing it all. Okay. Holding down great Britain on, on their cryptid community. And I'm really excited to have him on. I know I don't, I might not sound that excited, but I've been battling a, uh, I don't know, a virus of some sort for about a week. Um, and it's rough. I ain't gonna lie. Um, it's rough, but the show must go on, right? <laughs> I'm, out, I'm out of banked up episodes, so uh, instead of just laying low, we're just going to do the show through it. So if I, if I sound like trash, I apologize. Um, if there's a few pauses or coughs or whatever in here, just bear with me, all right? But I'll go ahead and bring Andy on, and uh, let's get into the Beast of Britain. This is cool. So um, my name is Andy McGrath. I'm a British cryptozoology author, researcher, investigator. Um, haven't always been. I, in 2016, I got the idea to write a series of books about different beasts, unknown animals, cryptids around the world. And I started sensibly with my own country and wrote Beasts of Britain. Uh, to explore the the creatures that may or may not be hiding out within the British Isles. Uh, It was an interesting journey. I had been challenged by an American friend to um, prove that there was something more than just Nessie or Nessie legends lurking in the British Isles. And what I actually discovered was stories of Bigfoot, four things, dogmen, uh, sea serpents, as well as lake monsters, mystery big cats, little people, trolls, and more beyond. Um, it, since that journey, you know, the, the book has, has grown and the, um, the mission has grown. And I've now just finished uh, volume one 
of beasts of the world. Um, the first volume dealing with different hairy humanoids uh, around the world, one of seven parts of, of different cryptids around the world. And I'm just about to to publish it, uh, hopefully at the end of this month. And um, and here we are, you know, getting ready for a new a new adventure in cryptozoology. That's fantastic. Um, see, that already throws me for a loop. I didn't realize that there were so many cryptids in the British Isles. You know, I know of, of a couple of sea serpent kind of, you know, folklore or whatever. Um, and I've heard about the little people, but yeah. I, I wasn't familiar with the, the, the larger kind of cryptids. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a whole British Bigfoot um, tradition here as well, which you know, some researchers try to to pull back to the the green man or the, the, the woodwose tales from Europe. So if you go around the cathedrals um, or look at, you know, noble heraldry from the 10th, 11th, 12th century in Britain, so the British Isles, you'll find these hairy, upright men called the woodwose or, or the green men uh, in some cases that are adorning all of our, our noble places, our holy buildings. So they're dotted all over cathedrals everywhere, hundreds and hundreds of years old. So a lot of researchers look back and say, well, look at that. You know, this is a sort of a proof that there were people were seeing animals like this or let's say creatures like this way back when um, in the Middle Ages. Now, uh, in the medieval period, but for me personally, I'm more perplexed by the modern day reports of the British Bigfoot, of which there seem to be many, really many. There, was a, there are a few collectors of these reports in the UK, uh, far too few, unfortunately, but there seem to be conservatively, uh, conservatively a couple of hundred reports, let's say 20 or 30 of those look very um, uh, reasonable, you know, as far as reports are concerned, descriptions, etc. without Bigfoot on the brain and, and other uh, issues like that. Could there be something like a British Bigfoot in the UK? I don't know, but um, it, it does intrigue me, <laughs> you know, and in the book, I actually wrote a whole, a whole section about it, even to look at the as well as a few sightings, uh, even to look at the, the possibilities of, of what could indicate that they're here. So, for example, um, uh, could they be a, a derivative or a, some sort of extant Neanderthal still living on, hidden in the country? Um, how would they have got here? This is an island. And then we looked into things like the Doggerland Bridge that used to exist between Europe and, um, and Britain, which was possibly submerged about 6,000 years ago and out of which the waters out of which they've dredged up and trawled up many um, tools and skeletons and mammoths and all kinds of you know, other bones and indicators of a, a landmass that was once occupied there. And it's, yeah, it's fascinating to me, you know, as well as, as we mentioned earlier, looking at the holy history, the pomp and the pageantry of how these creatures might have been represented in the past. Right. That, that's interesting that they would have them on, cathedrals and you know religious landmarks and stuff like that oh yeah um, yeah it must have been revered pretty highly yeah i mean there's there's another possible theory as to why they're there because it, it also occurs throughout europe this whole um 
woodwoes or woodwaza, as it's known in Europe, this wild man emblems there. We find them in churches and cathedrals in France and Germany and, and everywhere else, Spain as well. There was a great book that I read actually when I was uh, studying in the university called Religion and the Decline of Magic. And what this book talked about essentially was how many of the, the pagan festivals and gods and goddesses and you know, the holy well of this or the sacred uh, rock of that were um, as late as the 15th and 16th centuries were taken over by the church mm. and they had saints names put on them or they had um, Christian festivals. Um, were, Christmas is a great example of that, right? The festival of, of Yule, you know, this midwinter festival right. that was very popular. Easter's another one. I mean, yes, Jesus was crucified around about the same time as, as Easter or the Passover and similar to, and close to the Roman festival of Easter. Yet Easter is the festival of Astarte, the festival of rebirth and paganism. And that's, you know, so we're basically taking over some of these things. So my theory had been for a while that perhaps some derivation of these pagan gods this hairy man, maybe similar to Heracles, you know, uh, the club-wielding Heracles or Sylvanus from the Greek mm. mythology, uh, this this sort of shepherding god, this guardian of the forest of the animals, had been um, amalgamated into the church, this representation to make it a holy thing, a Christian thing instead yeah. of a, a pagan thing. And then later, it became popular, you know, with right. nobles and royals as this strong emblem of um, uh, of nature. I, see. I, I was thinking that it might have been a depiction of Esau. And I was I was wondering why would Esau mm. be so popular that he would be on structures and stuff, you know? But you exactly, know, yeah, that's, exactly. That's there are similar things like that. He was really just said to be very, very hairy, and that's that. There's been a bit overblown with these sort of bit, but there, um, there's in in kiddo, in kiddo, in in kiddo, sorry, yeah. in the Babylonian uh, um, mysteries, a lot of these gods and deities and characters they do have, they are passed down through empires mainly. So that's why you can see them in the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and the Greeks, mm -hmm. the Persians, all these different things. Romans right down to us, who are so essentially disseminated, or also inculcated that Roman pagan tradition to our own traditions you know they're they're you often find that they're related so that's why i say people like heracles or sylvanus would have had um imagery or a similar personage in celtic and right. brythonic um pagan lore that would have probably been based upon the same ancient character yeah but, i think you know, translated right. into their own yeah their I, own I myths think... and uh, yeah yeah, I think all of it's real. I think they're all connected. They're all related. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it all Absolutely. goes back to one story and everybody just took it their own versions of exactly that. Yeah, no, exactly that. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, I appreciate that. Well, I want to get back into Bigfoot here in a little bit. Yeah. Because that's a that's a big topic, you know. That's a big, big topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Such a treacherous difficult, yeah. huge yeah. topic. It, it it goes everywhere from you know, being in the Bible to or or Gilgamesh, uh, uh, all the way up to UFOs. You know, if there's there's nowhere to put Bigfoot that he don't fit in. You know, um, but you you mentioned something else that 
that sparked my interest was stories about the little people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I am fascinated by the little people, if you don't mind talking about that a little bit. I don't, I don't know. This is, the, the amazing thing about this to me is that, okay, in looking at this, I've, I've discovered so many links all over the world. So that those tales have definitely persisted for centuries. Yes. It's right, the British Isles. And as you may or may not know, you're probably aware, it's right, the British Isles, we have the Scots and the, the English and the Welsh and the Cornish and the Irish, Northern Irish. And even between and within those countries, there's many different tribes that have sort of been um, ingratiated in over time and yet still have a slightly different version of these these things all of them have tales of things like fairies and elves gnomes uh brownies imps hobgoblins pixies bookers knockers fenadry uris grugachs bubachs trows and they're all not all but many of them are very diminutive troll-like hairy little folk and the thing i was most interested in when i was looking at the british isles apart from the obvious modern day sightings is could some of these beings that were um like even like gnomes for instance that was were seen or observed in the ancient past could they have been diminutive primates or even pygmy pupils um like the trials or the um the menahuni or the holder folk or even perhaps even more something like the um Ebugogo of um flores were described like a pygmy type of people you know, were perhaps not so developed, lived alongside the larger people. Could it be something like that? Or a small primate, as you often hear um, described um, in Australia with the Junjadi mm -hmm. or the Junjari, that's one of the myriad ways that they pronounce it. <laughs> Are we looking at that here in the UK as well? And are these creatures now maybe functionally, functionally extinct? Essentially, you know, there are they're not at replacement levels, but they are occasionally seen right. in um, in all parts of the world. This is in the UK as well, and uh, it was an interesting thing. In going searching for these creatures, actually, I found very, very few bona fide modern day sightings, um, and, and within that, some of what was described could have been diminutive or uh, juvenile Bigfoot types, if such a thing exists. Um, but I did find that a few, you know, like a few interesting sightings. There was one in 2018, a claim sighting in a place called Arrington Woods, where uh, a dog walker was, um, and this is, a, this is in a village called New Mask in England, and a dog walker was, was walking on New Year's Day, January 2018, and heard some kind of chattering, like she described them as ape-like, almost ape-like um, noises. Mm -hmm like two people muttering to each other. And she looked into the trees with the direction the sounds were coming from and saw two creatures stood near a felled tree, three feet tall, covered in tawny colored hair, both males. She claimed she saw the anatomy of one of them, said they looked like primitive humans and one was wearing a loincloth. She tried to get the camera out of the vehicle. Also mentioned they had that sort of a mane of hair and the next thing on muscular, but she tried to get the, the camera out and the, her dog barked. You know, it was always the same kind of story. Yeah. And they ran off into the woods and she didn't um, 
she didn't get to take a picture. But this, I mean, this is a Monday thing. This is something that still seems, if the witnesses are to be believed, to take place even now in this yeah. country. And um, if there is anything to those old ancient legends, then it would make sense that they do. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. And that's, that's super modern. That's four years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, then this other stuff, you know, this this other stuff as well. Um, there was a great uh, one in a place called Woodford Bridge, Love Lane and Woodford Bridge in London, which is, I mean, this is, there's a lot of leafy areas of London, by the way. So it's not the most urban area of London, yeah. but still, you know, it's it's a residential area. And there was, a, there was an old lady um, that just came out of a flat, turned the corner when she saw a hairy creature four feet tall with really big feet that looked at her with animal eyes just pass her and leap over the the wall into a, 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 a public house called the uh, three jolly willies pub and this was at 3 p.m in the afternoon wow. <laughs> she's just walking around the corner just some old bird and then suddenly yeah. she's confronted by a four foot hairy creature not an ape according to her right. or some escapee and of course any such creatures in this country closely monitored if there was a, a missing chimp or a gibbon or something we'd, we'd know about it everybody would know about it well yeah that that leads me to this um because yeah you you nailed it while while you were talking i was thinking there's probably not a whole lot of territory that hasn't been mapped in detail over there right like you it, it's not like america where there's or even in my state in west virginia there are there's miles and miles that, that nobody goes to. Like there's, there's places that no one has went to in years. Yeah. Uh, I just imagine, I'd, I've never been over there, but I kind of picture it a little different. Like you guys probably have a more thorough grasp on, on your regions, right? I would say yes. I, I mean, definitely in comparison to somewhere like the United States. I mean, I was even astonished whilst landing in Atlanta airport just for some change i think i had to connect there somewhere i was astonished by the endless forest that i saw just stretching out to the horizon i thought this is around the airport (laughs) this is um this i don't i don't i'm not assuming we're in the woods here this is just a bit of forest Mm -hmm. and yet i can't see the end to it so no we don't have areas like that but it's topographically the uk is actually it's very surprising so I went looking for this information because, of course, when you talk about things like this, the first thing that comes back to you is always, well, you know, the UK is not really that big. Uh, there's 67 million people who live there. Um, it doesn't have huge forests. So where are these creatures living? And I went searching for some evidence as, as to could there be, if they do exist, could there be somewhere where they could hide? <laughs> Excuse me. And what I found was uh, something called the UK um, National Ecosystem Assessment, which was obviously taken um, you know, to look at the land we have and how it's being used and is it, is it healthy, is there room? This was done in 2012, fair enough, but not a lot has changed since then. And what they actually were surprised to discover was that only 6.8% of the UK's entire land area could be classified as urban. Wow. Yeah, and within that, it's even that, 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 by the way, that includes rural settlements and roads within right. that as well. And um, what they 
discovered within the four primary nations, like at the UK, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, is that in the nations themselves, it was even more dire. So England, which is the most populated nation of 54 million people, 10.6% of the land was urban. Scotland, 1.9% of the land was Scotland. Right. And let's let's say it's um it's two about two thirds the size of England something like that or maybe slightly less than that, three point six percent of Northern Ireland, four point one percent of Wales, and in those smaller Celtic nations, I think Scotland's population is approximately five million, Wales uh, three and a half, Northern Ireland one point five million people. So, again, you know there's yeah. there's this situation where there's not a lot of people about. Yeah. It actually means that there's a there's a, a whopping 93% of the UK combined. That's not urban. Um, and then they looked into the, the land itself. So they found that 54% of the land in the towns and cities was also green space, parks, allotments, football fields, you know, railway sidings, um, and waterways. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> so there's plenty of places to yeah, have. Yeah, there is. And you find that a lot, sorry to jump in here, but when you step outside, I live just on the edge of London, when you step outside for even, you know, a mile, two miles, suddenly you're just, you're in the countryside and British people are on the path kind of people. We don't have a lot of wild campers or many hunters. Yeah. We go for these walks in the countryside and we go along these regulated paths and, you know, places where it's easy to get back from. Right. I think there is, there's room for something to, to hide doesn't mean it's there but there is room i love it i love it because i've i've watched some wild campers on youtube because i yeah. know it's, it's pretty strict out there about where it is about yeah. to camp and stuff yeah. and I, I watch them and i think how cool of a place would that be to go because you don't have to worry about large predators you don't have to worry mm. about bears and mountain lions and you know wolves like but i see something like what you're writing about and you got <laughs> Bigfoot and Dogman and <laughs> all these fairy folk and yeah, so safe. You and know, I mean, it's uh... if if it is indeed more than urban folklore, modern folklore, as I like to call it sometimes. If it is more than that, because of course there are anecdotal sightings, they're, they're not evidential. Um, then yeah, I suppose. But then people, all of people, reported some harrowing encounters there doesn't seem to be much harm being done. There is another phenomenon in the country, which is quite concerning, which is uh, the British big cats. Yeah. And um, those reports are within the thousands, really? within the thousands. And I, I must get a few every month, I'm sure. Um, I, or somebody mentioned something about seeing a big cat very, very frequently. Now this, this, is something you know it's not cryptozoology i guess it's an out of place animal really isn't it but it's something that's that's crazy because it can it really show you how things can get established or changed over a short period of time so you may be aware that in before 1976 anybody in the uk could own more or less whatever animal they wanted mm -hmm. and it was very popular to own status animals like big cats if you had a country estate so normally things like pumas or melanistic leopards or jaguars were very very popular yeah. um and people got fed up i think there were a few incidents people 
weren't keeping them properly. And suddenly then, in 1976, the British government introduced the Dangerous Wild Animals Act, 1976, to regulate them. Now, what this resulted in really was very, very expensive conditions for for pet owners. People weren't really keepers, but they were pet owners. Maybe this thing was just wandering around on their farm on the lead. And now you have things like Section 3 CNF of the Act uh, required that any animal couldn't consume at all times if it's being kept only under the authority of the license be held in the accommodation which secures that the animal will not escape. Suitable as regards construction size, temperature, lighting, ventilation, drainage, cleanliness, which is suitable for the number of animals proposed to be held in the accommodation. And also while any animal concerns at the premises where it normally will be held, its accommodation is such that it can take adequate exercise. What kind of enclosure do you need to have for a puma to take adequate exercise? Right. Something really severe. And you know, this was introduced really without any thought as to what these people were going to do with these big cats. Yeah. The zoos weren't offering to take them. Yeah. Of course, you know, for a zoo, actually, this is not, this is an expensive venture. They're, they're not charities. Yeah. Um, and many people, it's claimed, at least many people just let them go yeah. in the 1970s. And since that time, throughout the country, bit by bit by bit, reports started to increase. As, of, of cubs as well as fully grown animals and um, it would seem that we have a sizable big cat population I don't wow. know how many maybe a few hundred yeah. roaming the country after wow. dark yeah well, you, you'll have that at, we have something similar down in Florida um, around hmm. the Everglades oh, yeah. giant snakes got that have gotten yeah. out of control monkeys um you know, uh, it's like the invasive species capital of the world. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're offering, you know, money for people to come down in the summers and help wipe out iguanas and pythons. Yeah. Because yeah, it's just absolutely. so overrun down there. I, I mean, I'm, they're just such an adaptable animal. The pythons. Right. I mean, um, I've seen a lot of things. That, I mean, I did look into Florida with my, with my new books. I did a little bit on the skunk ape, as you would. And, um, you know, just on the types of monster imposters that could possibly um, account for it. And, you know, there are actually, it really are quite a few. I think there was quite a few monkey facilities in there and several of them uh, were damaged during storms, mm -hmm. which, which led to, I think, several escapes. I think there's a whole population of, um, what are they called now? I'm just looking for you here. Are they rhesus monkeys or something else? Um, Ah, was, let's have a look. I've got the information here. Uh, okay, that's what happens when you write too much. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. So um, I was just thinking, like, I don't know what people are going to think of the new book, but I was just thinking, gosh, and to get to the point, where is the information? Um, okay, so there's several primate facilities in Florida. There's the one in Henry. County Sanctuary, the Center for Great Apes, you know, being in labs and circuses and things yeah. in Wachula. Um, several escapees have happened from there, but, but the, okay. Oh, I didn't mention it completely, but there's a whole population of monkeys and I'm sure <laughs> people were complaining that they had um, uh, 
is it chlamydia or something? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know how they've all got chlamydia, but somehow. Um, it's, it's actually funny. There's in the, um, I don't know if you remember the famous Mayaka skunk ape. Photo oh, yeah. It looks like Excellent. an orangutan. And the letter written by the anonymous, um, a lot of people doubted it was a genuine old lady, but there's so many complaints in here that she's got to be an old lady. <laughs> and uh, it's almost proof in itself, you know, the, the, the way that she talks about things. And yeah. um, things are stealing her apples, right? Yes, yeah, stealing her apples. And uh, here we go. This is a great bit. I've got the letter here somewhere. Okay. Um, at the very least, this animal belongs to a place like Bush Gardens where it can be looked after properly. <laughs> why haven't people been told that an animal this size is loose? <laughs> how are people to know how dangerous this could be? If I had known an animal like this was loose, I wouldn't have approached it. I saw on the news that monkeys that get loose can carry hepatitis. That's it. Hepatitis. They're very dangerous. Please look after the situation. I don't want my backyard to turn into someone else's circus. <laughs> now, when you're looking at what this reports, I really look for character in them, actual character, things that you can't emulate if you don't if you don't belong, you know, to that part of society or that age or whatever, that, that right there, that is, that's something that cannot be copied. Only old people have that kind of gripe. Right. They only, only old people think that way. I don't want my backyard to turn into someone else's circus. Yes. That was the clincher for me. I thought that's, this is genuine. This is hundred percent genuine. <laughs> whatever she's captured, you know, she's, she definitely experienced this thing. <laughs> and she's pissed about it. Really pissed. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was not happy. <laughs> well, let me ask you, um, what got you into the topic? You said you haven't always been there. Uh, no. Was there a personal experience that you've had, that, something you couldn't explain? or? No, um, I've actually never, ever seen the cryptid. And I've had a few funny experiences in the woods, but I really put that down to... <clears throat> a kind of bigfoot on the brain situation you know if you're out in a dark shadowy wood all by yourself for about six or seven hours at night you're gonna start playing tricks on your you know you yeah. plays tricks on you i've never seen anything but i really love this stuff from when i was very young um a young teenager i think i used to say it'd been about 25 years in 2016 but you know i kind of gathered that was around about 15 maybe younger I started collecting clippings and um, every time there was a, a documentary, you know, obviously the, the regular stuff like In Search Of and Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World were high up there. Um, but every time there was a new documentary, a new Loch Ness sighting, which you sort of are regularly every year in the UK, I'll collect it, look at it and started to get interested in other things around the world as well. Ogopogo, I can remember having... Um, Gosh, I can remember having um, Arlene Gull's book from quite a, quite a young age, you know, and looking at that thing, could it be real? Right. And even now, um, I wouldn't say that I'm a believer. I'm a, quite a big Lake Monster fan, but um, I'm not really a believer less so when you study it, obviously, because you have to ask the questions and deal with all the hoaxes and things that, that oh, stuff yeah. will burn you out after all oh, yeah. <laughs> probably know yourself um that'll if, if you've got a little faith in something that'll definitely burn it up <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you know i just i have questions i love the possibilities i always idealize that age of exploration you know the whole age of exploration 
you know, sounds the colonization to, to take that bit out of it, right. <laughs> the colonialism, then the rest of it was kind of exciting and cool. And um, yeah, I just think it's not over. There's stuff to discover still, actual real bona fide living animals. And um, when we believe that we've, we've got the world, as you say, mapped, well mapped, it doesn't mean we've stepped there with our feet. Right. You know, these days, it doesn't mean that even Amazon jungle explorers, it's so easy to get lost forever in that jungle. People still go on very regular routes. They don't just like pitch up somewhere out in the jungle and say, let's go that way. Right. Nobody does that. And it's the same um, in, look at, um, gosh, even like California and Washington. Look at the, the woods there. There's planes that have gone missing there. Dozens. They've never been found. You're right. Jets. Yeah. Passenger jets. <laughs> right. <laughs> they can't find yeah. by air. Yeah. And um, that's not what you would think of as being the most rural and explored part of the world yeah. those i mean america's a modern country those other parts of the world but this let's say anglo-ish um admit this is anglo administrative um philosophy predominates which is very handy actually it's good for organizing knowing what's going on everywhere yeah. keeping um keeping tabs on stuff it doesn't exist in those other places right people just know there's stuff out there they don't go there that's cool we just leave it like the um like those brazilian tribes they found recently by plane yes and they're just there <laughs> just there and they're like okay cool so we know where you are now and well look you know you're about a couple of hundred miles in you seem kind of aggressive we're going to leave you to it <laughs> <laughs> and you brought up a good point earlier about how you, you said british people like to kind of stay close to the, the beat very path. much oh, that's mm. that's here too honestly i mean oh, we really? have some people you know like to go hiking or whatever but if they're hiking they're high they're typically hiking an established trail yeah. you know uh we love to hunt but 90 percent of hunters stay within a quarter mile of the main road there you go you know um you're it's it's very rare for somebody to go out three and four miles deep into the wilderness yeah. on off of any kind of path and stay any length of time because it's it's not easy <laughs> you know, you, you got to carry gotta, what you need yeah. in, carry what I, what you need out. If you're as hunting, you mentioned, you there are dangerous, with you, you know, yeah. dangerous predators in there. Yeah, and it, it's not like Lewis and Clark anymore. Mm. You know? Yeah, those guys. I mean, exactly. I was looking. I was reading. Um, what's that awesome guy's name? I was reading it. Goodness, now I've forgotten to do completely. Uh, what's his name? Oh, my, my brain is melted. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Who, dis who allegedly discovered the, the Mary Coxie anyway? Let's just find this amazing guy. Oh, okay, of course. Colonel Percy Harrison Fawcett. Okay, Colonel Fawcett. And he, you know, he went into the Amazon looking for the lost city of Z with his son. He was eventually lost looking for this, but he described finding this strange sort of part man, part Neanderthal-like tribe called the Maricoxi when he was um, in Mato Grosso state in Brazil. And I, you know, I read something like that and I think this guy described all kinds of things as well, like a, um, 
uh, a dog with two, a d- double barrel nose and everything. And everybody saw this, you know, he's making it on a really a giant spider. And people, it's apart from giant snakes and possibly even in the Palosaurus, but people thought this guy is really making stuff up. You know, he's just one of these 19th, early 20th century style explorers that would go off and come back with these wild tales, right? Wow. But later, actually, they have discovered um, a double-nosed hound, basically. It's called the Passion of Vera, the double-nosed Andean tiger hound. So one of the descriptions he made in this book and sketched it, which was sort of sneered at at the time, turned out to be completely true. Yeah. You know, and it's a strange thing to add on to another list of unlikely creatures and, and peoples. Um and I just think, yeah, those guys, they went out there. They they risked their lives, essentially, and in his case, lost them, yeah. um, looking for this this new adventure, you know, this new, these, these new discoveries. I'd love to be, um, <laughs> I'd love to be one of them. I, I mean, <clears throat> I would go with some sort of savant of navigation if I did, you know, because that's not really my strong point. But um. I think that's part of the appeal, um, mm. especially for for men our age. You know that sense of adventure. Yeah, cryptids give that to us. You know, there's yeah. some, there's still something out there to be discovered. There's yeah. still some some reason to explore. Uh, just I, I love watching movies about that kind of stuff. You know, about grand adventures and exploration. And I, I'm constantly reading books about discoveries and uh, treasure hunts and stuff. And we still have that in cryptozoology. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. like a beautiful marriage of, you know, what is out there. The promise is still there. Yeah. And, um, it, and it's a strong promise because they keep finding, okay, like the rock stars of cryptozoology, those guys are still undiscovered. But there's a list, a steady list of frogs and monkeys and apes and even goats and, and, and large animals that are discovered every year and some of them uh, they found a new whale in um in the in california off the coast of california i think just last year the year before i forget what they, they've named it now but it was it was a new type of whale it wasn't a tiny it wasn't a small whale right it's a new species uh, it, that's california right right this is california it's not like it wasn't in the middle of this pacific ocean when somebody was shipwrecked and just noticed um some <laughs> know <laughs> some specialists some you know uh yeah. incitations that oh thank god i was shipwrecked here now I've, i know it's this new species it's in california people are probably seeing them all the time and just never knew and uh, hang on a second this is a completely new type of whale look at the okapi and things like that it's um yeah that's the congo i mean okay the gorilla the Komodo dragon, they're kind of getting a bit on, they're getting a bit older, but um, there's still things out there. And I think that was the main point we made. And it's, it's, that's always my view. People aren't really stepping off the path. Yes, we've surveyed it, we've got it on satellite, but nobody's going there. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and 
and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I want to take a second to tell you guys about Squatch Survival Gear Packs. Um, first of all, you need to subscribe to them on Instagram at Squatch Survival Gear. Uh, Chris does giveaways and stuff all the time. Uh, you get to see these products I keep telling you guys about for the last, I don't know, last year, year and a half. Um, they're made in America by um, American companies. And that's every single piece of the fabric, hardware, the buckles, frames, all the labor is done in America. Um, they're military-style rucks that are like 65-plus liters. They have mid-sized packs, 60 to 40 liters. And they also have uh, day packs, you know, like 30 or 40 liter packs. All these backpacks, okay? Uh, it's great gear. It's quality tested. I own one. Um, I wouldn't be bugging you guys about checking this stuff out so much if I didn't believe in it. Uh, you can, Like I said, follow them on Instagram. Follow them on Facebook. All the packs are made to mil-spec standards. And what that means is military specifics. Uh, Chris is a, an army vet and every pack that he makes are modeled after packs that he had to use and modify so it's it's the best the military has to offer that he's produced in his own style and he's given them awesome names um like the minahuni and the rock ape and the grass man and, and they're all named after cryptids, you know, like uh, the Mothman pack that he's just now raffled off or, or gave away. And every time you buy one of these packs from Squatch Survival Gear, you're supporting multiple small businesses because Chris reaches out to individual businesses to help piece together all of these products. Check him out, Squatch Survival Gear, and use my new promo code, BUMP22. When we're in a new year, we got a new promo code. Okay, it'll save you 10% on all products site-wide. Check him out. Squatch Survival Gear. And that's what we need to do. We need Absolutely. to, you know, get lost looking for this city <laughs> of Z again and hopefully not eaten along the way. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell people or animals. I, I tell my wife all the time that, you know, Josh Gates, he's... He's living my dream. He's like, living our dream. That man. He's got is, our job. Yes. <laughs> I would like to have just a, a weekend of what he gets yeah. to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. My view on that stuff is actually, and this obviously, Josh, if you're listening, which I, this doesn't 
and I don't apply this to you, but my yeah. stuff, my view generally on doing anything, getting anything done, is that somewhere out there, somebody stupider than me has my job, <laughs> my dream job. <laughs> so just go for it. Yes. And that's just go for it because that is the case. Somewhere out there, somebody dumber than me has got the job I want. And <laughs> so you might as well just, you know, pitch in and try and get it. I love that. Yeah. That's right. Josh, don't have to worry about Josh Gates over here in this either. So, I... Well, just in case, if we don't mean you, we think, you know, we respect you, but um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Andy, is there uh, any favorite cases that stand out to you that, that you wanted to go over in particular? Yeah, I could, I could have a look at, um, let's have a look at this, a few of these new ones here actually in the new book. Um, because anybody who's heard me before has, has heard a lot of my, my recent Burton cases. You know, I'm going to look at here actually is, and these aren't on my cases, but I, I did, I did rehash paraphrase some of them in the new book. Um, what I really, really liked about, about this, and that, I don't know if you know Marie-Jean Kaufman, the, um, the famous um, wild man researcher, French, but also mainly researched in, in Russia with people like Dmitry Bayanov and Boris Boshnev and um, Igor Burtsev, who's still around. She recently died at 101, I think, or 102. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just just a, an absolute legend of a lady. And she went to the Caucasus and, and catalogued and detailed these sightings uh, along with her team that people had of, you know, a wild man-like creature, a big foot like creature you could see, but more, more Neanderthal-like. <clears throat> and she, um, I'm just reading through her stuff, and I, I did report on a few of the sightings she included in, in the book, uh, paraphrasing, but um, just, just really amazing. This one I really love, and it's about, it's uh, three Almastis that are, that are um, witnessed in the in the early 1930s by uh, in the republic of kabardino balkaria and uh, the alpine pastures of elbrus and um there's a, a shepherd first reports in the uh, the creatures called zagariv chagia and he's tending his sheep high up in the, the, the slopes it's all sort of mountainous there and very hilly and he's forced to take refuge under a rocky overhang because of some heavy rain and he gets under there and sees that there's three Amastis, these sort of wild men sheltering under it as well. He's a bit frightened, but he decides he's going to stay there anyway. So the rain's really heavy. So they both parties keep their distance from each other, you know, <coughs> looking, <coughs> excuse me, looking at each other, but not having any interaction. Rain stops, he comes down from the mountains and um, because it's perceived to be bad luck to see an Almasty, he doesn't say anything about it. Now he's keeping keeping mum. And um, the following morning, he's awoke by the cries of his fellow shepherds who are running down the mountain with a herd saying, there's three Almasty into the rock up there. So he confesses to one of the elders of the village then that he'd seen the same Almastis the previous day and 15 or more shepherds, curious shepherds, go up and surround the, the rock and just watch the creatures until like lunchtime. Wow. Um, and they described them. As they described there was um, 
the three creatures, uh, medium size, two of them, uh, with breasts of women, uh, extremely long and uh, covered with hair over their bodies. The head hair is always differentiated, by the way. And the third, which was a, a bigger creature, was a, a male uh, sitting in the middle of them. They're all hunched over with their heads down. I suppose kind of trying to keep a low profile, right? So one of the witnesses, uh, an elder, uh, describes them and says their heads were very ugly, not nice at all. They resembled a human face a little, but the nose is shorter and flattened. The eyes are slanted and reddish. Cheeks are very prominent, like those of a Mongol or a Korean, but more so. Lips are thin, lower jaws receding as though cut on a bias. The hair is long like that of a woman and tangled. The entire body is covered with shaggy hair, resembling that of the buffalo. In some places, uh, it was, it's long, as on the torso and chest. In other places, it's shorter on the arms and legs. The hair was very dirty, and their stink, their smell was so strong, we couldn't stand it. Um, Yoda resembled that of wild flax when it grows thickly. I don't know how that smells. Um, once the one seated on the right mumbled something. I did not see the hands clearly as they were held between their legs. The legs were short and bowed. The feet were like that of men but more spread out. All were wearing, wrapped around their waist, an old piece of shepherd's cape. Um, and then it goes on to say that they considered, um, captured them, but one of the elders said it was forbidden, that they were, it was bad luck and to leave them, and they all left them. And she, in her writing, she reports on many, many sightings like this. I mean, really descriptive sightings from locals who no one bears look like and 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 the rest right, right and yet here they are these people in the middle of nowhere who've obviously at this time that she uh, was reporting i think might have been in the 60s even or maybe later i'd never even heard of a bigfoot then there was no right. paddy or anything to to influence wow. their um what they they believe they saw and it's just her work is just packed full of sightings like that really really descriptive and in many cases some really encouraging nice interactions between locals um who apparently would give them clothes now and again or you know bits of rags and cloth to to keep yeah. themselves warm that's so incredible and I've yeah. never heard the story. I haven't heard. What do you say, Marie Jean Kaufman? Um, I, I think it's she's first. This is, I think it's Marie Jean Kaufman, but it, it's spelled like Marie Jean Kaufman. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I think Kaufman sorry, two ends. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. American. I mean, I'm, I'm country accent on top of American accents. No, well, I'm I'm just trying to. I'm not. I'm just myself trying not to butcher it. But I'm I'm assuming it's Marie Jean Kaufman. But I I don't know actually if that's how it's said. Um, so I may have just butchered it. By the way, <laughs> so don't, don't feel anything with that. Um, you know, it's those guys, they were really unsung. Um, Dmitry Baranov, I've got one of his books in the footsteps of the Russian snowman, and some of Marijin Kaufman's work is in that, as well as you know, stories from another researcher, Boris Porshnev, and, and others. And while that whole, you know, a Yeti thing craze was going on, afterwards, these guys in Russia, they were doing some great work you know yeah, really really great work right up until the well i don't know when she stopped i think she was even get, picking tracks out of the earth in the 90s you know so um clearly like a, a life dedicated right. to fantastic research a whole lifetime and, and speaking of russia i'm sure you've seen that viral video 
of uh, this almasti that's jumping like sideways between trees have, have oh seen? yeah i've seen a sort of almost like knuckle walking between yes. uh, the, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I athleticism like 10 years old or something yeah or? something like that um yeah there's an account squatch me now um okay he's on instagram he's well he's super popular on like tiktok and all that yeah um he he has it on there as like one of his top uh, top yeah. few, you know, mo most believable stories, and it's coming out of Russia, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I've seen it the footage a few times, and I, I guess I always try to sort of ask myself, um, if you're going to fake it, how would you fake it? Right. How could it be done? And if I can't figure out how it could be done, that at least has to be the beginning of credibility in my mind. <laughs> yes. It doesn't mean it's it's. I mean, it's not fake, but that the, the movement seems very difficult for a human to yeah. replicate, unless that was actually you know uh, a huge chimp, a huge male chimp that was kept and owned by somebody that they right. filmed running across. That that's a possibility, but the fact that it probably is a real animal seems quite likely. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, there's um. I did. I don't know if you obviously remember the Todd Standing stuff. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and um, when the the discovering Bigfoot movie came out, I went on and you know did a little thing about it. So first of all, a little post on Facebook saying yes, this has got to be it, you know, and everything. And it, some really trusted colleagues just sort of rinsed me out. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, why would they do that? Why would they do that? That's kind of strange. And my wife at the time mentioned, well, hey, my friend, you know, from back home. Uh, who I know really well now as well. She was the head of VFX for The Hobbit and um, oh, wow. uh, Happy Feet and Lord of the Rings and all this, um, these different movies, you know. Why don't you ask her what she thinks about it? Because she's got no interest in this subject at all. Is she, she give you a sort of a, a rundown of it as to whether it could be done or how easy it would be. And she looked at it, uh, all of them, you know, Teddy Squatch, Blinky, right. the devil face awful thing from the documentary you know when everybody's gone home and the battery runs out <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um uh she said at least for the first two you know that look convincingly like faces of some kind close up you know clear faces that they could be done um with 2d layering with a sort of a mannequin head for the Teddy Squatch, not the blinky one, but the, the, the beige colored one. Um, you know, it, since there's not a lot of movement, you can mm -hmm. 2D layer the plants and things over afterwards. Um, but she did say that if they are models, or if it is makeup, especially for blinky, that, you know, the, the prosthetic makeup has gone right under the eyelids. They would have to be wearing full, absolutely full, eyeball contact lenses which would be incredibly painful as well as the glue on the makeup under the eyelid for the, the hair and everything not that it couldn't be done that way right. but that whoever did it if it is fake did very good work very good work yeah. and i wondered when i was looking at it afterwards when you know 10 years after that footage almost 10 years when that discovering bigfoot documentary came out he only the only thing he could put as a face was the devil scratch, which really just looks like a man in blacked up makeup, right? Yeah, it did. Yeah, I mean, it's the worst case of blackface I've ever seen, and that includes Trudeau, <laughs> right? And, um, I mean, if 
that's not a candidate what it will you know that is so um it was just really suspect so i'm looking at it and thinking something has happened between this initial point where we had some great if it's fake we had some great makeup artists on board to do this work to this point 10 years later where obviously any money you'd have would have run out finally now you've got your documentary you've got to stick something dynamite in there as well to say well since that time look what we've got apart from the presence of Meldrum obviously and those great guys at Bindernagel oh yeah what could it be and I'm you know I'm still stuck I'm still stuck with that guy yeah I, I am too I I, yeah. I know he's got a lot of controversy uh a lot of people want to just if it's if it's got Todd Stanley's name on it yeah you know, they want to throw it away but I'm reluctant to do that it's hard it's really hard it's mm. it, and that's because it, it is so hard to go out in these remote areas it's so hard to create something that's even remotely realistic yeah, yeah um, what would he have to gain when he would be spending thousands and thousands of dollars to go do this stuff it's hard so. to know unless the tours of the case because i know he gives tours and he gets paid for that and builds questions but actually in the u.s so many researchers do that anyway Squatch walks and things like that, and yeah. you know it's not a high-paid profession. If they're dedicating their lives to it, one hundred percent, let them make some money. Yeah, you know, really. don't deny them. Don't <laughs> deny them food on the table. You know, <laughs> right. um, you know, because it's not. I don't know what everybody thinks is crypto zoology is not like cryptocurrency. It's not. <laughs> you know, the, as many adverts as I probably get for that with the crypto thing. But yeah, so I mean. At one point, I was. Some of the early stuff was real. He faked the later stuff. That's where I was. You know, okay, that was real. That's well, I'm not sure about that one, but the beigey one in the between that doesn't move much. Well, it doesn't yeah. cool. And then the later stuff, that devil thing. Well, you know, you just needed a clincher for the end of the dock. That was my view, but I, I don't know. I spoke to um, did a conference, and I don't know him well but um he was at a conference that we were at we all went for dinner later and i spoke to i was sat next to jeff meldrum and i was just asking him about it mm. i said you know obviously if everybody asks you about this because of that documentary you know do you mind talking about it and he was under the impression actually that he wasn't supporting todd's, todd's work but he went out he was a good outdoorsman he knew his stuff his wife wasn't a makeup artist. She was just like a beautician or something. Oh, wow. so that's one of the rumors that was yeah. put to, to bed and said, he's a nice guy and a genuine guy, but he's not very likable. And maybe that's half of his problem. Yeah. You know, he doesn't come across as likable. Yeah. People sort of almost, you know, um, people, some people have got that, right? Yeah. So people have got that. And uh, yeah. no matter what you do, you know, you're just going to come across as a bit sort of shifty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that about him, too. He was on yeah. uh, Sasquatch Chronicles, you know, okay. Wes Garmer show. Yeah, it's a great show. And uh, you can hear that personality kind of come out. It's like mm. he's a little confident. Yeah, a little rough around the edges, you mm. know. Uh, it's one thing to be confident and be like, you know, it's, it's OK if you don't believe me. I, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's one thing. Uh, it's another to be like, oh, if you don't believe me, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, eh, come on, back off just a little bit. Well, if you've got evidence, who? I mean, I'm not a big Attenborough fan, right? By the way, but 
when did Attenborough rock up and say, well, either you like what, you know, you believe what we've just shown you or you're a complete fool. Right. <laughs> That's not his closer at the end of it. So it's for everybody out there, by the way, you're all fools if you don't believe this. It, it's, I don't wonder if this thing comes sometimes when you've been attacked by so many different people sometimes. Yeah. It's not unusual to seem defensive all the yes. time. But the only thing that the first listener gets from that not the whole background about how you were attacked for 10 years they just get that you're really defensive and overconfident right but they just see the product of it and that's all they got to judge on yeah and that's a difficult thing i, I even i even factored that in is that it is that it? you've just been called a liar for 10 years you're going to be your back's going to be up a bit sure it is of course yeah. um everybody in the community has kind of said no not you don't want you right so and, um, and there's the possibility that he had some genuine things happen initially yeah. and he's just so eager to convince you yeah that he'll throw a reenactment in there you know maybe um get busted with a little hoax uh and it's human nature you know it is it is and at the end of the day when these things are making money these big production companies they're, they're throwing something your way making you a documentary they want something yeah they got a pull something out yeah you know um whether that's you know listening for knocks in the woods and looking terribly shocked <laughs> and surprised all the time <laughs> or, or what you know whatever it is um right. yeah i'm really adverse to it i want that adventure show i want that out in the wilds of papua new guinea somewhere you know searching for pterodactyls and shit but oh, <laughs> i yeah, just me too. that's what i want <laughs> you know running running away from you know angry tribes whose customs have accidentally <laughs> stepped all over which will happen i'm over friendly i'm about to shake the wrong hand or right. you know, give two kisses to the chief's daughter one on each cheek <laughs> continental style and get myself you know get a headhunter after you something just some angry <laughs> angry people because people people the world over you know if you step on their traditions sometimes they don't know enough about the world outside to yeah. expect you not to know yeah you have a little bit of a I culture shock when you get out there. yeah i've done it i've done it before well, i have too i have too yeah. now speaking of documentaries there's a couple um that i'm looking really forward to coming out this year uh -huh. one is going to be called masters of the hunt um, so that's something to look for i'm not sure exactly what platform <laughs> it's going to come out on whether it's amazon or what but uh again that's with trey from squash me now he's going to be doing oh, that cool. um and there's another one i don't know how you feel about the paranormal or the woo factor <laughs> things yeah but if, if you're into the paranormal and that kind of stuff there's one called dark holler that's going to okay. be coming out um super good shows uh, i've cool. talked to the guys that are behind all of it you know and um those i highly anticipate um the way they go about things on masters of the hunt um, they're looking for Bigfoot. Um, okay. Just, you know, that's, that's their goal and their approach, the way they describe things are it's, it's things that I've never heard being tried before. So yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about it. Even if they I'm get looking nothing, to that then. Uh, yeah. even if they get nothing, I'm, I'm excited about how they're going to go about doing this. So. Well, that sounds, I mean, on the paranormal side, I'm not that interested in it because it's essentially, you know, prospective zoology is my, that's my passion yeah um but still I, I i love finding out new things and any new methods 
looking for any new methods to steal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be I'll be watching the the masters of the hunt with eager interest to yeah. see um what I can credit them for when I include it in my next <laughs> expedition. <laughs> so um before we wrap things up, one yeah. if you don't mind, tell me about whatever you do have coming up. Um any kind of books, any yeah. kind of works, expeditions yeah. you got? Well, I've got um well Beasts of Britain, um the Beasts of Britain book, the audio book has just come out. Um so for you know all of those um and I'm not narrating it, by the way. So if you do listen to it, it is in an English accent, but an understandable one, a clear and cadent. So this guy, um, he does a really good job. So if you, you know, you, you, you commute, you travel, you like to read on the go and, you know, not sat down in the corner, then that's a that's a great one. It's about eight hours, 15 minutes. Nice. Um, I think the book's about 355 pages. So that, that's that. Then Beast of the World, uh, part one, volume one of the seven part series will be out hopefully by the end of the month and that's called hairy humanoids and uh, i've spoken about a few of the, the cases in there tonight. and basically looking at the different types of and i call them humanoids because some of them are not quite ape-like or, or um uh, not really classifiable but look at different types of these hairy humanoids like the big giant man apes like bigfoot um or the the wild men types like the the almasti that we just described or mm. the barmanu or the 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 woodworms and then other things like relic apes like the yeti like the skunk ape and um more besides um little foots um monkey monsters dog men amphibious anthropoids you know um yeah. which is a bit more a bit more ambiguous after that last section but covering these different types of creatures that we are sometimes lump into this one bigfoot category but right. actually could be physiologically quite different to one another so that's that that's the book that's volume one of beast of the world and i'm already uh hooked in now to writing volume two nice. which i won't tell people what that's about yet it won't be about hairy humanoids but it's um within the seven volumes we want to go into every cryptozoological arena yes. in the world and um and flesh it out hopefully um uh in as logical way as possible <laughs> that's so exciting <laughs> with some yeah some personal opinion chucked in there for for good measure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I'll, i will clear off so well, i'll probably need to buy a new bookshelf anyway so i'll, I'll make sure i save some space for oh thank you of the world you know, i want to get all seven volumes there yeah oh absolutely thank you um and am i mistaken or do you not have a podcast i do uh, it's it's not it's like a pretend podcast it's called beastly theories uh -huh. and um on the beast stay with the beast um uh uh call sign there the beastly theories um i describe it as it's a low-tech low-key low-brow endeavor <laughs> to discuss the highs and lows of cryptozoology research and it's basically an exercise in nepotism I just <laughs> call people up. I'm really interested in chatting to whether people are or not interested in listening to them and in the lowest tech way possible, you know, just with my computer and a set of headphones and no intros or anything. I just 
chat I just waffle at them for about two hours and we just chat and this about the moment I don't do lots of regular episodes there's 59 episodes on there at the moment nice. uh, covering all different types of things and you know people like Cliff and Jeff and um, uh, Lyle Blackburn and others on there their interviews are on it but also people you might not have heard of before like um, Colin Kilty who had some strange werewolf experiences in the north of England and um, um, uh, this great guys uh, got a group called Irish Aquatic Monsters who basically look into the, the whole history and newspaper clippings and stories of of Nessie type creatures being sighted yeah. all around the island, uh, the island. I think they've also got a several books, but one great one called The Seal Serpent Theory, um, which was a great read. You know, now obviously it's quite obvious what they're implying by the title, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's very interesting. And other things besides, like my good friend Scott Modis, who passed away uh, this year, uh, the Lake Champlain researcher, uh, Scott Modis. Um, we've got quite a few interviews with him, um, talking about his great Ziomaro carcass series. And um, yeah, just more and more and more besides. And I will be booking in um, several more people in, in the year to come. Some, some interesting chaps. Yeah. Awesome. Chapesses. Well, um, I got one more question for you, and then I'll let you oh, off great. for the evening. I'll try and make it short this time. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, this is the most subjective question of all. Um, what is your theory about Bigfoot? I, I know you've mentioned uh, yeah. a Neanderthal, possibly. Yeah. Uh, what, what is your take on Bigfoot? I really think, and this is inclusive of the mainly ape-like types that are described in, in my new book, I believe that they're all some form of higher apes that we haven't classified. Even though I mentioned the, the Neanderthal theory in the book for things like wild men, mm -hmm. it doesn't really match. I mean, Neanderthals, as, as far as we know, were probably uh, no less um, developed mentally than Homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. And I, I think really probably if you saw one in the modern day, all suited up and a nice shaven haircut, <laughs> it wouldn't look any different to any other London commuter, you know, <laughs> that would greet you or barge you down the escalator on your journey into the to the big smoke. So, um, yeah, I think they're nearly all of them are some form of higher apes, apart from the the monkey-like monsters that are most likely and possibly the dogmen too, some form of um, extant giant monkey that yeah. still exists in some you know some lost places in the world and maybe in countries like our own is functionally extinct fantastic i'll yeah. take that i'll so take that long because <laughs> <laughs> i have no clue you know uh i, I thought that it used to be well, i used to think that it was uh a re relative of gigantopithecus maybe yeah. um maybe yeah but who knows you know i, I hear so many stories I've done yeah. almost 100 episodes now, and close to half of them are Bigfoot related. I just get more confused as we go, yeah. so I just figure I would, I would ask, you know. Well, there's there's a point to it, and I think the point that you're discovering that I'm jumping back into deeply is that it's it's a little bit matter of faith for some people, and it has formed something of a religion yeah. with people, which is why they get so fierce when that theory is crossed or you know doubted in some way. Because even when it's based upon a scientific point of view, it's still sort of 
creates a philosophy that the person follows, you know, or at least there's a philosophy behind it, even if it's just, oh, I believe they involve from Gigantopithecus, you can turn around and say, well, look, all we've got really is jawbones and a few teeth, right? mandibles and a few teeth, and that, that does not make a, an eight-foot-tall, you know, humanoid, hairy humanoid. No, it does not. Um, with a flexible midfoot, you know, <laughs> there's no evidence of that. We, we, we're just reaching at straws into the past and say, well, there is something there that's kind of like this, and so why don't we just pull that in? And I think anthropologists are very quick to point that out just because there was a gigantopithecus doesn't mean you've got a relative there in the fossil tree you're right you're right yeah. <laughs> Eddie I've thoroughly enjoyed this yes Again, I apologize I'm under the weather man no I hope you get better soon I do um I appreciate that is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to hit on before we retire no the evening? no no just that I, I appreciate the patience of everybody and um, anybody who's had to sort of muddle through the accent a little for the first few minutes, um, well done for sticking with it. It does get clearer as the hour goes on. <laughs> oh, no, you're great. You're great. If they can understand my accent day to day, then that, oh, that's easy peasy. That's your, easy. Yours is a relief to hear, I'm sure. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I know we had a time difference thing and you worked with me. I, I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you, Bob. Thank you. All right. You have a good night. You too. All right, that's it for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. If you just have to have more content, you can go to patreon.com slash the bump podcast and subscribe and be a patron. Uh, got more and more content on there every week. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, to catch up on past episodes, go to the bumppodcast.com, click the episode tab, and it'll take you to any episode you want to listen to. Also, if you want to be on the show, I would love to have you on. Share your story with us. Go to thebumppodcast.com. Click the holler at me button and holler at me. Send me an email, thebumppodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I'll get you on as fast as we can. All right. Again, thanks for listening. I love you guys. Until next time, don't stop believing.